I'm Wendy. And I'm Heather. And this is our podcast, Queer Religion. Where we explore where people's spiritual identities overlap with their sexual identities. Kind of like a conversation with friends. Yeah, just over like a boba tea. With a few rainbows. And unicorns. Or other fancy flags. We're excited today because our guest is... Keppa! Welcome to our podcast. Hello, Wendy and Heather. Thank you so much for having me. We're pumped you're here. Why don't you go ahead and tell our guests about yourself, a few things, you know, interesting tidbits, and also how you identify. Well, first of all, my boba is a Thai tea boba, and it is a beautiful orange hue, um, which I really enjoy. Um, but my name is Keppa. I am 25 years old, born and raised in Oahu, Hawaii, the Hawaiian Islands, and I'm super excited to be here to just share my story. Um, so I actually identify personally as an openly gay man, but also as an indigenous native Hawaiian. And so hopefully my story can provide some uh, diversity and context to um, what we have to talk about today in the queer podcast. And so, yeah, I am super excited to learn from our esteemed hosts as well. <laughs> Thank um, you. We got too far there. <laughs> Gracious guests. Yes. No, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, definitely there's so much value that's here. So definitely keep listening and to the other episodes as well. So thank you guys for having me. Oh, thanks yes. for the plug. Yes. Yes. Come back again. <laughs> of course. Awesome. All right. Well, just to sort of get us started, if you could give us a little information about kind of what it was like for you growing up. I know you're blessed to grow up here in Oahu and, you know, what your childhood was, maybe if there were spiritual influences in your life or a specific religious identity that your family had? Absolutely. So it's funny, here in Hawaii, it doesn't only start with us, right? As a Kanaka Maoli, a Native Hawaiian, our story actually starts before us with our ancestors. And so my family background, I hail from um, roots that are set forth in my mom's side. Um, she's actually from Hilo on the big island of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And my dad's roots are here on Oahu as well as Maui. And we, in our Hawaiian culture, I, I think I was most influenced in my spiritual journey by my Hawaiian culture. Um, and I'm very fortunate for that because as an indigenous uh, people, you know, our, our faith, our spirituality was founded here in this land that we are blessed to be a part of, right? Can you, when you say, real quick, I'm going to interrupt you. When you say founded in this land, is that because your spirituality is literally connected to the land, right? Correct. Can you explain just a tad bit? Correct. Yeah. So the word for land in, in Hawaiian is aina. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the word aina, it's actually split up into two separate words. There's ai and na. So ai means to eat and na is that which or... Um, that which feeds you. Mm-hmm. So aina is that which feeds you. Um, and that doesn't necessarily have to only mean the land itself, mm-hmm. right? It can also be the other aspects of the environment that actually feed your soul, that feed the identity that you have, that feed your stomach also mm-hmm. in a very literal sense. So what was interesting about my journey personally is that the result of my story was actually created by a series of events that happened way before me. Um, so the history of Hawaii is very much so tied to the person that I am today and not to get too briefly into the historical context of the Hawaiian Islands, but when it was first settled by the Polynesians back in the day, um, we identified ourselves as Kanakamali, as Hawaiian people. And the people here had to learn how to have a very, very strong connection with the land because we're the most remote place in the entire world, the most remote islands, island chain in the entire world. And so you have to figure out how you can have a relationship with your physical surroundings to be able to survive here. Mm -hmm. So we created these very intricate agricultural systems known as ahupua'a, where our people would look at the land segments that we were provided here. And still to this day, we kind of see it from the top of the mountains all the way to the bottom of the ocean and even outward and looking at all the resources that are available to us and how we can have a healthy relationship with those resources to create a sustainable lifestyle here. Kind of kind of like a pie slice, right? Absolutely. So you're, everybody gets like a pie wedge of the island for 
each clan, is that right? Yeah, um, different communities, Community, you know, different you. communities, of course. And so there's an entire system that we had built, an entire society that we had built here in these islands that were directly connected to the land, to Aina, mm-hmm. right? And so I would say, although it was a very physical connection to this place, it was also a very spiritual connection because the word for value in Olalo Hawaii is vai vai, or the word for water in Hawaiian is vai. So when you think about the value that we have, the highest value that we have here is water, water. Like basically that's what it means, right? And so knowing that that's the spiritual connection that we have, you know, the Hawaiian religion had hundreds, if not thousands of gods that we would pray to, that we would make sure that, hey, we want to make sure that we take care of these natural resources and almost treat them as if they had spiritual power because we rely on them for our own survival. Does that make sense? And so when we think about maybe our most famous goddess, we think about Pele, right? The goddess of fire that's associated with volcanic eruptions that's associated with the creation of our specific Hawaii that we have, she, along with all of her siblings, were associated with specific elements or specific animals that were here in Hawaii. And so there's all of these stories from our Hawaiian mythology. It's almost kind of like if you think about Greek mythology, right? Right. All of those gods that were associated with Greece or that kind of um, culture. It's very similar to here in Hawaii. you know, those were the type of influences that I grew up with on that side of my faith. But there was also a duality in my growing up because my parents also grew up in the Catholic Church. So we would go to, you know, church and we would pray to Jesus. We would learn about different things. And it wasn't weird at the time when I was growing up. It was just kind of normal to not only acknowledge Jesus and acknowledge God in terms of the Western context, but also to acknowledge these other forms and these other elements here in Hawaii that also have a physical ramification to our survival to here, life to life itself. Yeah. So kind of the way my mom taught me and my sister is we have to learn how to kind of balance in between these worlds, right? Because not only as queer people do we have to balance between heteronormativity as well as our queer culture, but also as indigenous people, we have to learn how to navigate between two different maybe worlds of belief systems, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I've learned um, throughout my journey is that while I was growing up, um, Hawaiian was actually my first language. So most of my primary ways of communication is through the Hawaiian language. And still to this day, a lot of what I see and what I do is filtered through that lens. And so sometimes, you know, when I'm praying or if I specifically have um, an experience maybe in my physical environment here that calls to me, I'll say a prayer in Olala Hawaii or I'll say a prayer in Hawaiian, but I'll not only call upon other entities that might be considered um, gods, but I'd also pray to the almighty God, right? And so for me, I think growing up, having those dualities Um, But also knowing that there's other elements out there really provided, I think, a more holistic view of faith for me. Um, And so growing up, having that, I definitely wanted um, to believe that it could all work together somehow in in harmonious ways. But, you know... um, And then when you pulled in, because I was trying to figure out how you wove... Catholicism into that so even though it wasn't probably like your day-to-day interactions um, that was still like a almost like a cultural set maybe like you're praying to identify with another portion of a culture that uh, correct me if I'm wrong like another portion of the culture that you're raised in because you have like a western culture that you're dealing with daily with the different diversity that's here on the island along with your natural um Hawaiian roots, right? So, yeah, they didn't always agree. They still don't. <laughs> it's kind of like gay straight people, you know. <laughs> um, sometimes, you know, they don't agree, and it's funny because that's actually still the journey that I'm going through. Mm. And I think that most of our LGBTQIA plus community is still going through that themselves, right? And I think that's okay, you know. I I definitely don't want to 
pretend like I have it all figured out. Oh, you mean it's not a destination? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Wait, what? I've not arrived. News. News. News flash. <laughs> News flash. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think a lot of my journey is still unfolding. And you're so young still, though. And I'm so still young. young yes. <laughs> yes. But so when you talk about, um, you know, your family being Catholic as well, right? Um, did you feel a stronger connection to the things you were learning in the Catholic faith as you did to the connection of things you were learning um, through the, the Hawaiian culture and the, and the spirituality there? There's a concept in Hawaiian language called, ma, called makavalu. So makavalu means eight eyes. So this is like a concept that in our Hawaiian culture is you don't have to only learn from one source of knowledge. Mm. And there's a saying in Hawaiian that goes, A'ole poka ike, ho'okahi. So not all knowledge is gained from one source. And I think as enlightened human beings, mm-hmm. as enlightened as the Western world is, we still have very strong beliefs of only believing this one thing Mm. and this is the only thing that you should believe and if you believe anything else then there's something wrong with you it's a very western mindset it's a very western mindset it goes through protestant religion catholic religion it's a very yeah this is the way things should be done because it's how i've done it instead of gleaning right value from multiple perspectives Mm -hmm. right and i think that a lot of people feel like they have to only believe one thing or they can't allow things to coexist right like you were saying how you're comfortable with understanding like you know i have these two perspectives and they don't always match up and and i can be okay with that and there's a lot of people who cannot right they don't have to sit in that same space where they're like well if these don't match up then one of them is wrong right right and i think that you know at the end of the day you can agree with certain things from one perspective and disagree with certain things from that same perspective but then agree with other things from another perspective. Like, for me, I do believe there's a God. I do believe that, you know, one day when I pass, I'll be reunited with the ones that I love the most, right? And regardless of the if whether that place is called heaven or not, does it matter? Like, <laughs> the terminology, you know, right? the terminology is one thing. And I, I do think that that also has to do with the fact that I grew up bilingual, mm-hmm. where it's like there's different words for the same thing. Right. So the concept is the same, but the wording may be different. Right, and so that goes into what I believe faith really is, is just understanding that there are some things that you're just not going to completely be able to see or understand, but just know that they're there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that I kind of see faith is that you can't take a legalistic approach to it. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of religions that do take a very literal perspective on say the bible like i know adventists right they're yeah. very literal the in their approach. Is very everything is a literal interpretation absolutely yeah. and while i see value in that it's a very binary system very much so and i can and coming from the background that i come from nothing's binary right right there's shades and colors and rainbows and and boba and boba yes and boba you know yeah right and so when you take a very literal stance to to faith it puts you in a box and you know how us gays we don't like being put into anything (laughs) we already came out of the box we're here we're queer and we're totally okay um so taking a legalistic approach to faith makes no sense in my eyes Although I respect everyone, it doesn't mean that I have to agree with that. Mm-hmm. And yes. so um, when it comes down to it, you know, I, I kind of see faith sort of in the same spectrum. You know, there's, there's people on a spectrum sexually, mm-hmm. and there's also people on a spectrum of faith, you know. So that's kind of how I see it, where there's people who are devout religious Christians, and mm-hmm. then there's people who are devout in their atheism, right? Yeah. I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm okay with that, (laughs) you know, um, we don't have to take an approach that's so binding, especially when it comes to our faith. Right. Um, because Hawaiians did have a word for, I guess you would say the equivalent of God in our Hawaiian language, but it was so sacred that no one ever uttered it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we don't have that word as commonly spoken 
um, today as it used to, I mean, used to not be. Similar to, like, the Jewish concept of, I think, this Yahweh, right? Like, there's Yahweh. Like a couple forms of that in which you don't speak it. And because it's so only, sacred. It'd be so sacred where you don't even spell all the way out, right? Exactly. It's so similar. And, and I think with the proliferation of very specific religions, you know, it's there's a power in the spoken word, there's power in the written word, mm-hmm. but there's also power in not saying anything at all, mm. right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just the silence. Like, that's enough. Yeah, that's enough, right? Because, um, you know, even for another concept in the Hawaiian language or in the Hawaiian culture is aumakua. And aumakua are, I guess you would say, the equivalent of guardians that are a part of your family who have passed on and they come back to you in various forms so it could be as a specific kind of wind or a specific kind of rain or specific rock or specific shark or a specific um, lizard right and those almakua are not necessarily gods but they're just identified with an ancestor that's protecting you or looking Mm -hmm. after you and um I think it's important to note here that in the Hawaiian language, akua is the word for God, okay? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what's been sort of normalized with regards to akua, so ke akua is the God, right? But if you look at the word akua in the Hawaiian language, you can split it up to mean a and kua, or of the back. Mm -hmm. So... Akua in the concept of the Hawaiian language is actually that which has your back. Mm. So, yes, you can include God, who probably is like, you know, capital Akua, capital A, right? <laughs> but then also you can think about like, there's probably other things that have your back too, right? Like, it's not like just. Like, people believe in guardian angels. Yeah, guardian angels. Like, or the saints. Know, like... The saints. And I mean, like, it's, it's almost a similar concept, but just adapted to a different culture, right? Um, the things that you run into regularly, right? So they're very, they're connected to an actual physical world and identified through those places instead of like a nebulous concept. Like who's seen the guardian angel? We don't really have a whole lot of people who've claimed to have seen them, but you know, you see the lizard plop on your windshield. It's very physical also with that, that. So it's a very in your face reminder that somebody has your back. So it's not as, uh, what's the word for that? Non-concrete. There's a, abstract yes you got it my vocab for the day (laughs) love it thanks yeah and actually it wasn't until i went to college and i took a semester to study abroad in italy that i actually felt a little bit more connected to my catholic faith Mm -hmm. because i actually got a chance to take two trips down to rome and i went to the vatican Mm -hmm. and i saw you know where pretty much you know the catholic faith is based out of it's like almost the you know um, it's the hub. It's for the sure, hub right? for, yeah, like it's, for it's that. The, what emanates out from there, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And so when I was there, that's when I felt a lot more connected to that part of my identity as like a person who has faith and who has background in the specific kind of denomination. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't have the privilege of going to these specific places <laughs> right? and associating their belief systems with where it emanates from or like even the origin of that faith right right and i know that there's you know people who choose to go on you know these um what are they called uh pilgrimages pilgrimages yeah to mecca to mecca right and a lot of people choose to go to like a source of wherever that religion comes from or israel israel and identify the physical parts that the culture and religion interweave through right and so i think that when it comes to our queer brothers, sisters, everyone in between, um, having, I guess, exposure to the different belief systems and the origins that they come from can really help bring balance to everyone's, like, you know, understanding. Like, for me, I didn't really understand how beautiful Catholicism could be until I went to St. Peter, and I just saw this beautiful light emanating down through this, like, you know, stained glass from the, Mm -hmm. and and then I just felt like the presence of God there, you know, and and I have felt a similar presence like that, but not in a church. I felt it in a waterfall here, where I felt it while looking at, you know, a beautiful mountain range that's covered in snow, Mm -hmm. because I've never seen that before growing up here, right? (laughs) Unless it's on Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa, right? But you know, I, I do feel the presence of that which, whatever you call the universe, God, 
um, in various forms that are physically, you know, tied to this space. And otherwise, you know, I mean, literally just before this podcast, you know, again, they have the best, ho- we have the best host. If you want to be on this, if you want a great podcast, have these hosts help you out. Cause we were just outside watching this gorgeous sunset and you know, we felt, I felt a presence. Right. And yeah. it was just because I was open to that. Um, I think especially when it comes to the affairs of faith, like you have to just be open to receiving whatever it is that it's meant to be received and also have your own discernment. It's like, Oh, I feel like I shouldn't be here right now. Or I feel like maybe Mm -hmm. I should or shouldn't be doing this. So, um, I think everyone has to go through their own journey with that. To awareness of what those things are. Absolutely. Now for you, um, when we look at the perspective of you know your the duality of your religious backgrounds was there a point in time where your discovery of your sexual identity kind of crossed over with those and was that a different experience for for either one of those or could you go in a little bit about how that was absolutely so of course i was like dang it not only am i like catholic gay but i'm hawaiian and i'm and like there's just all this stuff <laughs> going on right so I think again it goes back to having to be okay with the diversity of your identities so for me when I was growing up I didn't come into my sexual identity until high school so um, I remember when I first came out um, it was really tough for me because I was going to a high school that was a Protestant high school Mm -hmm. and so we would go to you know Chapel. services we go to chapel um you know and we'd we'd have these talks and it would happen every month and i mean we never talked about sexuality we never talked about you know any of that stuff did you guys uh, i'm backtracking way back sorry i'm gonna completely derail you so derailing oh, let's go let's do um did you guys as a family talk about sexuality growing up or was that acceptable or was it just mostly reserved for education settings? That's a really good question. So actually, the first time I was ever exposed to anything queer in my household was from the movie Rent. Yes. <laughs> and I remember my mother, who is a elementary school teacher, bless her heart, <laughs> she sat me and my sister down and she explained to us that what we were about to watch had some, you know, content in it that could be considered sensitive. And she talked about what gay people were. And she said, there are going to be two men and two women that you're going to see interact the same way that you see me and your daddy interact as. And it's okay. And it was just one of those things. I think wow. I was in like third wow. grade. Yeah, third yeah. grade. I think I was you in were in third grade when the movie came out. Was I was. <laughs> yes. So youthful you are. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, here's the thing that you should probably know about my parents' background. So, my mom grew up as a hula dancer, and so here in Hawaii, the hula community is very inclusive. And um, when it comes to sexuality from our Hawaiian cultural perspective. Um, back in the day, pre-Western contact, there was actually the duality of male and female energies. And you as a kanaka or as a person could potentially embody both. And so we called those people who embodied both the male and female energies, otherwise known as ku and hina, as mahu, right? And so if you come to Hawaii, though, and if you think about the way that mahu is used is sometimes in a very derogatory way, but the word mahu represented the people that were in the middle. Mm-hmm. And they had in Hawaiian society a very specific set of gifts, and they were considered very useful people inside of our communities. And so they, and it was because they could draw upon both male and female energy systems, right? And so when it comes to mahu in the Hawaiian context, totally okay. Like it was a part of our, of our culture, very much so. And so, however, that was never really talked about in my family. Um, I think that growing up, you know, we just kind of went through the motions of going to school, getting good grades, playing sports. And then it wasn't until that time where me and my sister were watching Rent. And I remember specifically the scene where Angel comes out in her beautiful Santa inspired outfit and she had just killed like a, a puppy a that was dog. yakking a dog akita. yes akita, akita right and i remember seeing that um today for you tomorrow for me whatever that yes, that's that a song for the first time and i was just like 
I'm liking this. Like, you know, <laughs> I she's, like, so fierce. She's, she's so fierce. She's so fierce. She's spinning in circles yes. on the table and heels. You're like, yes, more, yes, yes. thank you. <laughs> Me and third grade, I was just like, there's something happening here. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, I was always a very, I could say, you could say, I wouldn't say I was a flamboyant kid, but I always had a lot of energy. I always wanted expressive, to like express. Energetic. Very energetic, always expressive. And I used to think that it, that was just the way that I was, but of course, there's a little bit of gayness in there, of course. In um, retrospect, just a tad, just a little bit. Um, and of course, I feel like that was suppressed because of the environment that I found myself in, because actually I grew up, when I went to elementary school, it was a Hawaiian language immersion school, so it was a very small school, maybe the same I want to say 10 students that went through the Hawaiian Immersion Program. Hawaiian language was the medium of language education that we would use. And then we didn't actually learn how to read and write in English until fifth grade. And so I was kind of like shielded a lot from like Western culture up until about that age. And then when I started to be exposed to Western culture, it was a lot more towards middle school. So tough I went to time. a very tough time. That's a tough time for everybody. It's a hard time to just suddenly be like, boom, here's the rest of the world. <laughs> right. And you just want to block it all out because you're like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and so on top of me not only leaving the Hawaiian immersion um, system because I had to graduate after that, but I entered into a space where not only was the primary language not my native language, but it was also a very different type of culture where I kind of felt like shocked and mm. I did everything that I could to fit in. So mm -hmm. I would, you know, be very extracurricularly involved. I would do really, really well in school. I think I was kind of a loner in, in middle school, I would say. Um, but because of that, I worked really, really hard academically. And then I was able to get into a, a private um, school here that was Protestant. Mm -hmm and it was a very popular school for Native Hawaiians mm -hmm. and um, that's where I realized that okay as I was kind of going through those hormonal changes yeah, in middle, middle school. school and you're re realizing things about you where you're like oh this is weird like why do I feel this certain way and when I like walk down the aisles at Walmart and I see like men inside of their you know like the, the like, advertisements, yeah, advertisements the or the like underwear aisles, underwear aisles. No. yeah and I'm just like not the magazine the, the shopping aisle the shopping aisle where everybody's like, in their boxer briefs and right. stuff is like and smiling at you smoke. and I'm just like what's going on here right and I'm like, like 12, 13 and I'm just like something's happening and I don't know what and so when I was suppressing all of that utilizing my academics it helped me get into the very competitive private high school that I went to but at the same time when you get to that arena and you're already feeling a certain type of way about your sexuality not knowing that there's something wrong you just figure out how to hone in on something that you're good at and I was good at school mm -hmm. so I remember I just was I wasn't a straight-A student I won't say that but I was <laughs> a very good student I was an honor roll I did three sports in high school I did four different clubs and I was just all over the place and mm -hmm. honestly if I look back at it a part of it was the fact that I did want to take advantage of the opportunity that I had at that private high school right. but at the same time I think it was also a distraction right from myself right, right? stay and as busy as possible I don't have time to think about other things or be involved in any kind of relationship with anybody so I don't have to address that question it's like because I'm look how busy I am I'm doing all these things and there's no reason to to discourage you from doing that, right? People are like, oh, that's awesome. Look at you, you're doing clubs and you're in sports. That's great. I'm so proud. I'm so happy for you. You know, it's all positive things, right? So there's no need to dig deeper, see what else might be going on. Right. <laughs> and it was weird because I remember in high school, I think I had three love interests and they were all women and none of them worked out <laughs> so the first one was actually my freshman year and yeah that didn't actually pan out um at all she was a senior at the time that I was a freshman oh, as well wow. so going for the big fish I yeah. wasn't actually she came to me oh. so that's just the, the, the wow. really, no um, it was definitely a cougar situation I was a sweet guy in high school I, I will say that much um oh wait, wait yeah yeah <laughs> I mean just to be honest I I'm still a sweet guy um and I promise I'm more humble than <laughs> coming out on this podcast. I don't know what's going on. It was the Tai Chi. It was the, yes. the, um, the confidence there. Yeah. And then I remember I was a, in my sophomore year, 
of high school, that's when I became aware of my sexuality because there was a guy who had graduated from another high school who had reached out to me and we were talking back and forth online and you know he always online (laughs) yeah it was online and i think i was also growing up you know going to high school in the time where you know social media was starting to boom you know this is back in the early 2010s and so (laughs) (laughs) so the, the i think the the millennial generation yeah that i grew up in that was something that was starting to be normalized in our society and a lot of things were happening, right? So in the bigger picture, like, you know, that was still very, very new to happen. But I remember that's where I had my first, I guess you could say, like, homosexual experience, you know, with that mm-hmm. person that I met online. And I remember just going through that whole experience so confused at 14, 15. Or no, I think I was maybe 14 or 15 years old. And I was just thinking, like, how do I have these feelings for this person? Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that that person... <laughs> was mutual friends with a friend of mine in the high school that I went to and Mm. that friend had actually approached me after high school and he basically forced the closet open for me and he said Ah. Keppa what's going on like (laughs) what's going and actually he himself that friend of mine we're still really really good friends today um he he was already out he he had already identified um as a gay person and so it was at that point that before I was even ready to admit to myself that I was not straight I came out as bisexual to Mm -hmm. my friend Mm -hmm. and it was because I was still confused I didn't actually know that I was 100% gay and I know that (laughs) there's a spectrum for sure but I definitely fall on the gay side of that spectrum (laughs) and I'm okay with that now but at the time I did come out as bisexual and Mm -hmm. I think at the time I was still kind of trying to seize on to this ideal that even if I am you know, feeling this certain way about the same gender that I could still end up with a woman one day and be accepted as maybe this straight person, which of course, not going to happen. Well, you're still in that mentality in high school trying to fit into a, a normative, right? Like most people are not like, hey, I think I'll be gay and be different than everybody else in right. high school. Like yeah. most people, there are the positive like, yeah, this is who I am and I don't want anything else, so screw all of you. But in general... Most people are just like, how am I going to survive and fit in? I really don't actually want to be on this other side of the whatever spectrum it is, whether it's, you know, anything from what you're having for lunch or wearing for clothes all the way to your sexuality is not usually where people, I think it's probably a little more comfortable now, but at that point in time it was like, here's the the 2.5 children, marry your wife. I think high school is, is always going to be that time we're figuring out who you are. So, you know, what's acceptable or what the norm is is going to continue to evolve, right? But us as people, right, coming into ourselves, trying to figure out, moving towards adulthood, growing out of your childhood, you know, like, who am I? What resonates with me? What's important to me? How do I want to see myself? You know, and some of that's a lot of internal struggle based on, you know, whatever your life experience or your circumstances are growing up. I feel like that'll always always be the same right because as people we're developing and that that high school moment is so it's hard no matter what you're dealing with (laughs) absolutely and so you know at 15 years old i'm a sophomore in high school i had my first gay experience and i'm thinking to myself oh my gosh like i'm bisexual or at least i'm not straight or i don't know what i am right right and so i remember after that experience i want to say it was in spring of my spring semester of my sophomore year and one thing that is important for me to note is my older sister she is two years older than I am and so we were going to the same high school at the time and we never actually had a very close relationship growing up we would get into a lot of fights like like many siblings do and it didn't help that I was going through my own stuff and so our relationship because we went to the same high school and because we would have to commute to high school every day we would get into fights all the time over nothing and it was honestly I, I do take ownership Sister, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I would I would cause a lot of fights with the people that were closest to me because I was just going through my own stuff. And so I remember when uh, we were in track, I, I was a track athlete as well as my sister. I remember we didn't do very well in our events after a track meet one day. And so both of us were already irritated. And I remember we got into this huge argument on our way back to the car 
And so she ended up going to the locker room to change and whatnot, and I went back to the car after I was done. And I was sitting in the car, and I was looking at the passenger mirror, and I was just in tears. Because at that point, I think it had been several weeks since I had that experience with the guy I'd been online. And I was just in tears thinking to myself, God, like, I can't keep denying this, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember looking at myself in the mirror, tears streaming down my face saying, I wish I could go back. Mm-hmm. I wish I could go back to just being ignorant about this part of myself that I wouldn't have to look at it or acknowledge it or anything like that. And so unbeknownst to my 17-year-old <laughs> sister, she comes into the car, sees Niagara Falls on my face, and she's just dead silent. She's like, what's going on with this kid and uh, I kid you guys not like it took me maybe 10-15 minutes just to snuff the words out that I was not straight at the time I came out as bi and uh, my sister to this day probably saved my life in that moment she could have said anything but instead she just said Keppa you're my brother I love you no matter what mm-hmm. and she gave me a big hug and from then on out I knew that our relationship changed we still got into fights here and there but then I realized that nothing would be the same after that. And so, till this day, my sister is probably my saving grace, so thank goodness for her. And we, we became a lot closer after that. But what's funny about that story is the same thing happened with my parents. I got into an argument with them in that same car. So, if any of you own a Mazda Chevy red color specifically, then there might be some grace there. Wait, you haven't there. taken your current boyfriend in that ride? Right? No, I have not. Absolutely not. No, no, there's too much history in that. Close one. Um, so, what happened was my parents were driving me to Glee Camp during the summertime, okay. which honestly red flag there um, and I remember we were just arguing about whatever the case may be I don't remember what the argument was about but I remember to just make them shut up I just came up to them <laughs> well there's one way to get that time and of course that made them shut up but at the same time they were just like what do we say next <laughs> like we have we have our at the time, 16-year-old, this is a year after I came out to my sister. So it took me a full year to come out to my parents after my sister. But Still very young. Still very young. Yeah. I was 16, and they were just looking at this kid, crying his eyes out in the backseat, and they were just like, what are we saying? <laughs> <laughs> and so my mom was the first one to speak, and she said, Keppa, that's okay. We just want you to be happy. And my father bless his heart he was so confused he was like wait really like in the most innocent oblivious way right like right. just think about that uncle who has no idea what's going on but you love him to death you're just like you're such a like, you're just surprised like, like, you're just surprised oh, it's like wait, really like also all of those girls that you hug whenever we have the parent teacher conferences those aren't your girlfriends like they're just friends and I'm just like yes father like <laughs> um and so it was funny because we didn't talk the rest of the weekend because I was at where? I was at Glee Camp. Um, yeah. And so we didn't actually talk about it until a few weeks later where I was driving in the car again with my mom. And my mom was just like, so are you bi or are you gay? And I was just like, I think I fall more on the gay side, mom. And that was the first time that I kind of felt, okay, like they actually want to know. And then uh, it was funny because my dad was watching, I guess, a show, Modern Family. Oh, and, yeah. Or they were watching, no, they were watching Glee, actually, oh, on, actual on TV. Glee. Or actual, actual, the actual like, TV show. They're like, Glee. we said it was something Glee camp. Everyone's like, well, quick, look at all the Glee episodes. Right, exactly. And then they were, they were looking at, um, oh, my God, what were their names, the, the gay couple? Um, oh, Santana's character? Is that no, no, no. no um, the gentleman. Male. The gentleman. Yeah. yeah um, I was thinking about Santana. <laughs> yes. Sorry, we have different Yeah, we have here. different focuses here. I have no idea who are the gay characters. Uh, yes, so the gay yeah, characters. Yeah. You know the gay characters in, in Glee. I didn't follow them. But um, I remember like my dad seeing Glee and he was just like, oh, he was looking at the gay characters there and he was just like, oh, so are you attracted to those kinds of people? And I was just like, no, dad, like I'm attracted to other guys so yeah you know that was my experience coming out to my immediate family and then I do have another older sister so I have two older sisters and that older sister I came out to in the fall semester of my senior year so altogether if you look at the timeline of how long it took for me to come out to all of my immediate family both my sisters and my parents it was over the course of three years Mm -hmm. you know and I was 15 16 17 Mm -hmm. right 
And I look at that, um, and the reason why it might have taken me a lot longer to do that was because there was kind of an overlay of religion in the high school that I was going to, mm-hmm. and it wasn't necessarily okay, but it also wasn't not okay. obviously <laughs> said that it was not okay. Mm-hmm. So having that uncertainty, I think, really took me by surprise that it took me so long to do that. But one, I, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was so, but it seems like that didn't transfer into your home, right? So you had that experience with the school vibe as far as the religious culture, but even though you had Catholicism, which is kind of notoriously not very supportive of you know LGBT life, um, but your family specifically didn't seem to project that onto you. No, and I think what happened is, you know, my parents, I really give them a lot of credit because the time period that my parents grew up in was sort of like you know the free love movement in the mm-hmm. 1970s, right? Mm-hmm. My my dad went to a very hippie college that I ended up going to one day as well. And it was during the time of the free love movement and whatnot. And so he had been exposed to other homosexuals at the time and he was totally okay with it. And then uh, my mom, because she grew up in the hula community, all of the mafu that I was talking about earlier in the episode, there was plenty mafu who actually still to this day dance hula. And so she, they had a lot of friends that they knew growing up, but unfortunately, they a lot of them passed away in the AIDS pandemic, you know? Yeah. Um, pandemic, sorry. The AIDS... Well, it um, kind of was. It kind of was, yeah. right. And yeah. so... They, it took a lot of people. It did. Lot. It took a lot of our, of our community. And of course, I'm very... Um, aware of my privilege to be so young and to have had that not be a part of my life but that was a part of my parents life like they had family members who they lost because of the fact that they saw loved ones not accept you know these members of their family and so it led them down a path that led them to unfortunate circumstances Mm -hmm. and so I think even though they never said this to me, I don't think they ever wanted me to go down that path. And so they just accepted me as I was and it was fine, right? Mm -hmm. And I think really though, it started with my sister accepting me. And so I took that, after I took that first risk, then I decided to take the risk with my other parents and my sister, or my, my parents and my sister, right? So I know that my story is not the same for a lot of our LGBT folks, right? And if you don't have a blood family that supports you, I do understand the real value of having your chosen family be able to support you. But I'm just very, very fortunate to have grown up in a culture and within a family that did support me mm-hmm. and who did accept and love me. But it doesn't, I mean, it also doesn't invalidate. So it's like the idea of two things coexisting, right? Like you can actually have to take a lot of risk for you like that's still a very high emotional risk because you're never actually sure right and it's just and so it doesn't make it any easier to have to have to come out in general now the result is better than for other people but that actual risk of coming out is it's i think it's emotionally you know very stressful and traumatizing for most people even if the result is fine and that goes back to the topic of faith Mm -hmm. right because at the end of the day if you're gonna come out to anyone as a non-straight person, that requires faith, mm-hmm. you know? Like that requires you seeing the consequences of your decision that you're about to make and just hoping and having faith that everything will work out. Maybe not the way that you expect it, but that everything will end up working out. Unfortunately for some people it doesn't, but then, you know, I think that for anyone who's in the LGBTQIA space, we've had to deal with a lot of adversity and whether that's through our own coming out story or through other people not accepting us, having to go through all of that adversity, personally, if I didn't have faith or I didn't have a belief system that went beyond myself, that would be too much for me to handle by myself, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm happy to have these various perspectives to draw upon where if I'm feeling like I really just need to meditate for a little bit and just be with something higher than myself, it helps with that coming out. It helps with that self-acceptance, right? And I think when it comes to my story specifically, um, when I was able to kind of accept that part of myself, that's when I was able to sort of also accept my faith journey and also accept the fact that like, okay, 
maybe these things aren't always going to agree, just like how society's not always going to agree with my sexuality, mm-hmm. and that's going to be okay, right? Because I'm going to find my own path, I'm going to find my own journey, and no one's journey is the same, no. right? And I'm glad that it isn't, because if we all did the same thing or believed the same thing, then that would be really bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, pretty boring pretty quick. It'd though. be really boring yeah. really quick, and, you know, people would be making the same mistakes or the same... Um, you know, it, it's there's beauty stuck in diversity. Stuck in the same patterns anyway. Stuck right? in the same yeah. patterns, right? And so I do work um, professionally within a conservation organization, and we talk a lot about the biodiversity of our planet and how biodiversity in an ecosystem helps sustain life as we know it. And so I believe diversity within our perspectives also help our lives be sustained as well, right? where if you choose only one path of thought and you don't accept any other path of thought, like, it doesn't provide the, the abundance that you really need in your life. And while I see the value of focusing on one thing, um, there is a lot of value of understanding that there are other perspectives that are just as valid, right? And just because you don't practice those things, it doesn't mean that it negates those practices, mm-hmm. right? So. You, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Do you what what beliefs do you find anchor you now that you've kind of I mean because you're still pretty young, right? There's still of course more to go on that journey, but what ones have allowed you to um, just reconcile yourself and be comfortable both with your identity and then the concepts that you carry with you as a, a, a spiritual human? Because it sounds like you are still embracing several different spiritual uh, sets and perspectives along with you know who you are as a person identifying as a gay man right? yeah so I definitely believe in God for <laughs> sure um, I definitely believe in uh, the elements and how they interact with that um, and I do believe there is a universal entity that's kind of helping us all out um, and so those have been concepts that have helped me all throughout my life um, the concepts of Omakua, like I talked about, right? The concepts that we go back to in our legends, in our culture. Like, all of those historical references really helped ground, help ground me, even till today. And I know that some of those things, again, may not, if I look at it from, like, the legalistic standpoint of those religions, get along, and that's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. It's almost like I'm parenting these schools of thought where it's like, okay, I know you don't like each other in these areas, <laughs> but you're going to learn how to get along because who's boss? I am. This is my belief system. Okay? It's like, you're in my head, not <laughs> You're the in other my way, head, right? not the other way around, okay? And I think it just comes back to that idea of ownership, mm-hmm. right? Because whatever, whatever you're choosing to believe, just take ownership over it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do believe in God. I do believe that there are other entities that help out with that whole journey, um, for sure. I do believe in spirits. I believe um, we're probably surrounded by our ancestors right now, regardless of your genealogical connection to them or not. Um, I believe that you know we're not alone, even if we are physically alone, right? There's always someone watching. There's always someone looking out for us. Um, and I just think that what it all comes down to for me is gratitude. Yeah, so I think that's really what grounds me. So, the word for gratitude in Hawaiian is mahalo. And one of the oldest chants that I can tell you about is oli mahalo. And that oli, um, or that chant, basically talks about the different ways that we can be grateful for something. So, you know, we gather around this, uh, this space that we're in right now, right? We had beautiful boba, we had a great sunset, having great conversation and identifying all of those things that you're grateful for that's an aspect of faith that can be pretty universal i think Mm -hmm. and it can cross over through different cultures right yeah because at the end of the day regardless of what you believe in whether you believe in god whether you believe in the universe or whether you're an atheist you can find ways to be grateful Mm -hmm. right and i think if you have that gratitude you just are overwhelmed with the sense that there's something bigger than you, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of what language you say it in or what culture you come from. Right, how you identify. How it you identify. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. just like this... It's a common sense, yeah. yeah. The sense of something greater than yourself, whatever name you give it or, you know, whatever power you give it, there's something there. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to for me with my faith journey is just being grateful, you know, for all the good and the bad stuff, right? And I think even for us who are LGBT and we're, we got this far in our lives, I mean, we have a lot to be grateful for, <laughs> right. right? And I mean, I think too, especially when I think about gratitude with the LGBTQIA community, um, I think a lot about the people that went before me in our community and how my life is going to be very, very different because there were other people who were willing to fight for the rights of our people. And it's the same concept for my Hawaiian culture because the reason why I can speak Hawaiian today was because there was a core group of indigenous Hawaiian leaders who said saving the Hawaiian language was worth our time and worth our energy. And so they did that. And so I have this really huge I guess you can say sense of responsibility to live the best life that I can because these are the things that were fought for mm -hmm. and these are the things that were carried out for and the reason why I can not only speak Hawaiian but also I have the right to marry the man that I love is because of people who came before me and maybe those people are no longer physically with me but the actions mm -hmm. that they took physically during their lifetimes affect my life Right, and so that is a physical right. evidence and connection to those actions. So mm -hmm. with every decision that we make, with every action that we make, there's a spiritual, I believe there's a spiritual and a physical connection to where we are at right now, mm -hmm. right? And I just believe that, you know, if the people who came before us or God, Jesus, whatever sector of society or human beings that you identify with came before you and you're standing here today you're breathing you're listening to this amazing podcast you have so much to be grateful for right and that's that's a great faith practice human practice whatever fits your palate i don't care um, <laughs> if you want tai chi boba or you want like you know melon boba it's all good um you know, at the end of the day, it really comes down to whatever you can find yourself to be grateful for. I think that's what really grounds me in my life. Would there be anything looking back that you would say to either your younger self or to someone who's, you know, starting this journey, this experience, um, getting to know themselves, no matter what age they are, right? But is there anything you'd say to them? I would say... They are a blessed human being, and I would say to journal <laughs> things that they're grateful for. Because I think if someone is grateful, then it provides a sort of armor for them to handle whatever happens in the world. And unfortunately with the young people of today, they are kind of like really pulled left and right with the things that they're happening and having to deal with. And so for a young gay person who might be indigenous, who um, is trying to understand themselves, I think having a space where you can jot down your thoughts, say things that you're grateful for, will help you out, especially in your journey. But then at the same time, I, I probably would just remind them that it doesn't have to look a certain way mm -hmm. and uh, that it's okay to see the value in multiple things and not feel the need to take a really narrow point of view and it's okay to have that broad view it's okay to know that maybe these two schools of thought that you were taught don't always agree um and that you shouldn't feel the need to figure it all out right now <laughs> mm. <laughs> right. the answers don't have to be right there it's, right actually they're never gonna be right there like they're not quick, quick uh, Foreshadowing, Spoiler. you're never gonna find the answers. Yeah. Right. I but think, you learn yeah. to, to live in, in that space and you learn to have peace with yourself and, and surround yourself with, like you said, the things that ground you, you know. Right. And isn't that what faith is? Like yeah. just not completely knowing but hoping for the best. Right. And taking actions that you think fulfill that, right? Like how can I be better? How can I do things that I think help others, honor my ancestors? Actually, care for that's, my family? that's that would be my. my piece of advice Heather right there is if you feel bad about yourself figure out how you can help someone else mm -hmm. because there's so much healing that happens when you take your eyes off of yourself and help other people and it's not to say that you should have the savior complex or whatever 
but it helps normalize your struggle almost, right? So for me, I, I work in the nonprofit sector. I know you work within, Heather works within the, you know, the elementary school space. And it's just like, there's something about helping young people or people who are going through things that really bring healing to your own heart. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't be the reason why you do it, obviously, but it should be an aspect of just being a good human being. Like you shouldn't just live your life just for yourself because I, I realized that I was living in fear for most of my life up until I realized that, oh, I can live in faith. And a part of that faith is looking beyond myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know people do missionary work and whatnot, but you don't have to be a missionary to help people, right? Right. It could be as simple as saying hello to someone in a supermarket and then we have a coffee and where you get your hair cut. (laughs) Oh, right. That's where we, that's actually where Wendy and I met. I was, we were getting haircuts at the same barber. Yep. And uh, it's amazing because that was probably what, three, four years ago. Oh, wow. And had I not just looked beyond myself, I think I was also having a bad day. I was having a terrible day, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so that, right there. An example is our friendship, right? Wendy and I were both having bad days, but we chose to... Well, like, more than a bad day. I think it was a pretty bad month. Bad month. A set set of months, yeah, Yeah, for both of us. But I think, you know, that advice that I would give to young people is, like, try and connect with someone else, you know? Like, add value to someone else's life, because you never know. Well, that that. connection also, I think, I get, for me anyway, when I take the time to connect with someone else, it takes a the fear out of like I can't hold on to my own fear while I have to connect with someone else mm. because if I do I'm not I'm either staying in that fear and I don't connect with that person but if I actually connect with that person I have to step out of my fear base and anxiety and look at something else so it physically pulls you out of that and then on top of that it gives clarity so oh look this is going on in their life oh mine kind of does that too or we're going through similar stuff, or I have no clue what you're going through, but it gives me something else to think about, right? And then Absolutely. later on, you come back to your own stuff, and you're like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, this or that. So, yeah, it provides, like, a different focus, and you can step out of, out of I like how you worded that, a fear-based mentality, because that's what it is when we get stuck in our own anxieties and our bad days, is it's fear of whatever's going to affect our personal life or the people that we care about. Yeah. And and just even our friendship, Wendy, is evidence of faith, right? Because mm-hmm. I could have said hi to you, and you would have been like, bah humbug. Like, <laughs> yeah, and then I would have been like, okay, girl, like, whatever. Um, and that would have, you know, continued creeper, on. Creeper. Right, exactly. But then, you know, you chose to also have faith and just be like, this guy doesn't look bad, you know? And, um, <laughs> He's not going to mass murder me later. Right, okay, exactly. Cool. Right. And I'll so, say hello then. <laughs> and so, of course, you know, like, three years later, we're, like having this podcast together and I think that right there is evidence of faith right mm-hmm. that maybe you go out there and you're just thinking about how bad your life is and then you say hi to someone and then they say oh hi how are you like that just totally shif- shifts your idea because that's the thing about humans is we're wired for connection mm-hmm. right we're so yeah. wired for connection and regardless yeah. of our backgrounds our sexuality our religious beliefs those aren't the most important things that define the human nature right they're very personal things yeah but the human nature is to connect with one another and to places and spaces right they go those go together i believe absolutely absolutely so those are all things that ground me gratitude looking out for other people other than myself because god i mean anyone listening to this podcast if the only person that you're thinking about the most is yourself trust me i get it but also at the same time, I say this with all the love in the world, it's not all about you. Wait, I thought it was all about me. <laughs> right, and I thought it was all about me too. Wait, this can't coexist. Right. One or the other. One or the other, right? <laughs> and like, yes, you should have self-care and whatnot, but at the same time, a part of you caring for yourself is caring for other people, right? Um, the... And the, self-care is not selfish, right? You're talking no. about, like, the over, overall just consumed with yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the self-care of connection, yes. socialization in a pandemic... In a pandemic, no less. ...has become clearly <laughs> very important. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's a great topic, right, is spinning off of that, the pandemic. A lot of us have gone stir-crazy, 
especially in the LGBT community, because we're so used to, like, going out and, like, connecting in bars and, like, connecting, like, with rugby teams or, you know, whatever, whatever the case your, may your be. Finding your community. Finding your community. It's usually so, outside of your... Yourself. Your, yeah, and outside of, like, your apartment. <laughs> right, outside of your apartment and stuff. And so as the world, you know, reels its way back into some semblance of normality, I think it's important for us to remain aware that we have a responsibility to our own health and our own spiritual journey to connect with other people right and I think a lot of the ways that especially our community has grown like in the LGBTQIA space has been through those connections has been through sharing our vulnerabilities with one another and because we have some kind of shared experience I believe there is a spiritual connection between all of us right Mm -hmm. I see it and there's evidence of it like we can all probably go back to points of our story where we can relate it to anyone else within our community. And then at the same time, we can even branch that experience out where it's like, yes, regardless of if you're gay, you're straight, you're black, you're white, you're indigenous, you're not, we all go through suffering. We've, mm-hmm. And and here's the thing, when we think about the pandemic, it was sort of this weird equalizer mm-hmm. where like now everyone on planet Earth is experiencing something mm-hmm. yeah. like regardless of your socioeconomic status right, obviously to some degree right? right different for everyone but but one thing we're all experiencing this one thing and it's impacting every person differently but the conversation everyone is having is about this specific topic like everyone is impacted by this pandemic you know like you Globally. said in different Globally. ways yeah but like the whole world is thinking this is the the problem and mm-hmm. we are looking for a solution and this is impacting people as far as their health right in in any community sure differently for you know your your wealth and different if you're in you know different um groups of people but it was a threat for everyone mm-hmm. is a threat for you know like it, it the virus itself non-discriminatory right. um and, and just think, having that conversation, that, that shared space, it was really it connects unique. People. Yeah, yeah, like really unique to this time. Like I can travel to the other side of the earth in Amsterdam mm-hmm. and I can connect with someone who's a complete stranger and I can be like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. How was your experience for mm-hmm. the past like year and a half? You know? <laughs> right? And then we can have a full blown conversation about it. And as crazy and as terrible as the global pandemic was, there is some blessings in it, you know? Like, we... Well, first of all, people were more hygienic. <laughs> we wash our hands more often. And, and at the same time, right? Like, it gives something for someone, regardless of our backgrounds, to connect on. And, um, yeah, just, I really think that that's, that's a beautiful to thing to share, you know? Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yes. We went on another tangent. We did, but it was a valuable tangent. <laughs> yes. So, um, Well, the last major question I have for you is your favorite recommendation for boba tea. Mm, mm-hmm. My favorite recommendation for boba tea mm-hmm. would be cow cow. Um, which is a boba tea place. Sorry, like oh, a boba tea. Yeah, Kaimuki. Oh, location even. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Is that okay? You can come for them? No, go ahead. Um, and I would recommend you get their, uh, oh my God, what is it called? Sorry, I have to look it up. Well, while he's really looking quick. his up, my favorite location for boba tea is Taste Tea on Wailai. That's, that's my favorite. And Heather goes to... I go to Tea Espresso Bar. Cow, cow. There's a. Sorry, oh, cut. Cut. What is pause? This is beauty, right? Like you just the have beauty. a gap and I can cut out a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Never happened. Never happened. No, I literally just had it for the first time. Like oh, it's, a, it's across one. the street from Coffee Talk. That place where yes. we waited forever. Yes. Oh. Taro purple cow rice yogurt boba. Say it again. I would recommend cow cow tea on Waialai on the island of Oahu. It's the taro purple rice yogurt boba. Wow. Yes. That sounds like a treat. Taro purple rice yogurt boba. Yes. (laughs) Mm, That's my next one then. Yes. Very, very good. Awesome. But um, I just wanted to thank you both for allowing me to share this space with you folks. Um, You know, there's just so much that I learned myself from this conversation. And again, 
by no means am I an expert in any of these things, but Mahalo for just allowing me to share. It's an expert you know. in your life. Like, in yeah, life. Exactly no one knows my life more than me. That's right. That's right. Congratulations. You are the expert we just had on our podcast. Fabulous. Yeah. I should get a degree for it. <laughs> <laughs> just write something we'll I'll give you a certificate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I make them all the time. Professional. Got it. Fabulous. Yes. But thank you so much for being willing to come share your personal experience, your story with us and, and you know, with the people who are out there listening. And we really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Mahalo. Well, thanks, you guys, for listening. Uh, again, you can find us on Twitter, if you wish, at Queer Religion Pod, 1R, or at Queer Religion Podcast at gmail.com. So either of those places you can connect with us. We'd be happy to have a conversation. You can also drop by our website, as we mentioned previously, is still under construction. We would love any feedback. As far as resources, etc., you would like to give to us, drop that to our email and we'll take a look at it. Or if you have questions for our, our former guests, present guests, uh, ourselves, or if you just feel like you want to go ahead and reach out and connect. All right, till next time. Bye. Bye bye.